0: Today on Abounding Grace, be obedient to the voice of the King, that He has a direction for your life, that He has a word for you in your current situation, that that He has a direction for you, that He has a command for you, that He has a request for you, that He has something to tell you. And I'm reminded, you can jot it down in John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. It's a sign of love for us to obey our King. It's a sign of love for us to do what He requests and what He requires and what He commands. That we would live for Him in this world.
1: This is amazing grace. grateful for this time together with you we call the program abounding grace and it's our hope and prayer that you are learning to live by God's abounding grace we take you to 1 Kings 5 on this Monday at various times God will speak to us it could be through the word or even through a person or a set of circumstances what do you do when that happens well you're to obey and we see that played out in the passage before us here's pastor Ed Taylor Back in 1 Kings chapter 5, this is
0: what God is doing. God is providing, and he provided for Solomon through David. And God will do that in our lives. Some of you are praying about short-term trips right now, and you're wondering, this is a lot of money. How am I possibly going to go? Listen, God provided for Solomon through David, and now through Hiram. A lot of people on short-term trips, they are are discouraged by sending out letters and asking family and friends or their unsaved boss uh, for support. Don't. Send out as many letters as you can to believers and unbelievers. Because as you see right here, Hiram is an unbeliever. He does not have a relationship. Although he loved David, he didn't love the God of David. He loved David, but he didn't love the God of David. And Hiram is here helping to fulfill the will of God. He is a part of God guiding and providing. He's not a follower of God. He's a Gentile. Today we would say he's an unbeliever, or he would say he he doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Hiram sends congratulations, a very normal thing for kings to do to new kings. And Solomon, in the wisdom that God gave him, is asking Hiram to help him. Help us, we're building a temple for our God. And we hear you've got the best wood in town. The best forests in Lebanon. And we want your wood. Not only does he ask for wood, but also he asks for a master artisan that will make the beautiful furnishings required. And basically what they're doing here is striking a business deal. And I just want you to notice that God uses an unbeliever to do great things for his kingdom through Hiram, an unbeliever. He uses an unbeliever, someone that is not a Christian. Now, I bring this out for a couple reasons. I've already spoken on one. And that, where, that is where God guides, he provides. But, but let me also say that I want, I want to draw something out for you just to give you something to, to think about. Some, of, some believers, some of us, we prefer maybe even you, and choose to do business with only believers. And, and that's a noble thing. Nothing wrong with it. And, and if you're looking for someone, you want to look for someone you trust, and, and you're going to look among believers first. That's a good, good decision for good reasons, I'm sure. And I totally encourage you to do that, especially those that support the radio station that, that are supporting. I mean, man, they're on there because we trust them. And I would say if you're going to do business, that's where I would look first personally. But consider Solomon here. He realized that those from Tyre, the the trees had better wood. They were better wood for building, better logs than those that are in Israel. And so he asked an unbeliever, Hey, we need wood that you have. And it's not the first example, actually, that we read in the Scriptures of connecting with an unbeliever for the sake of God's people. You can jot it down in Numbers chapter 10, verse 31. Moses said to Hobab... Please do not leave, inasmuch as you know we're about to camp in the wilderness and you can be our eyes. Hobab was not a believer, he was his father in law. But he knew the wilderness, and Moses was wise. Don't leave, stay with us. We need your eyes, we need your wisdom, we need your help. And Moses shows us something wonderful. Not only were the Israelites blessed by the presence of this man that was wise on the lay of the land, but according to Judges chapter 4, you can jot it down in verse 11, we see Hobab's relatives living in the promised land. And we don't have a specific scripture for sure, I couldn't find one, but with that, if you connect those two together, it could very well be that Hobab became a believer and discipled his kids and discipled his family that are now believers because of Moses' decision. You see, the Bible is very clear. We're not to isolate ourselves as believers. We're not to isolate ourselves. We're not to isolate ourselves from the world, but rather we're to infiltrate this world. And that's going to involve interactions with believers and unbelievers. It's going to involve, you know, if if the Lord opens a door for you to bless a brother or sister with your business, fantastic. But there will be those times when that's not possible. And it's okay. It could be an open door for you to share the gospel. It could be an open door for you to be a good customer. You get ripped off, it could be the opportunity for you to die to yourself and minister to someone. And who knows what will be written in the chapter's future. So I lay it out for you just to show you that in Solomon or in Moses, it's okay. It's okay if you do business with a believer or an unbeliever, it's okay. Let the Lord lead you. Let him confirm to you what that is. Let him, lay the decision before him. And and see what God might do. Now, I'm going to go back to verse 6. Because this is the end. Now therefore command that they cut down cedars from me from Lebanon. And my servants will be with your servants. And I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. I just explained that. I think I missed it. Just so you know. Please forgive me. Are you with me still? I just explained that after the fact. So that's what he asked. So when Hiram heard that, he rejoiced greatly. blessed the Lord. And Hiram sent back in verse 8, I'm going to do it. You desired all the cedar. My servants, verse 9, shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. I'll float them in the rafts by the sea to the place where you indicate to me, and we'll have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away, and you shall fulfill my desire by bringing food for my household. So Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household, 20 cores of pressed oil. Thus Solomon gave to Hiram year by year. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. And there was peace be- between Hiram and Solomon and the two of them made a treaty together. So there's an agreement. It's a business agreement. And there was a tremendous Uh, amount of money exchanged in the form of oil and wheat. Verse 13 Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel and the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon 10,000 a month in shifts They were there one month in Lebanon and two months at home Adoniram was in charge of the labor force Verse 15 Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains Besides 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, hewn stones, to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and the Gebelites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. Thousands of people are working on this project. It is a huge building project cutting down trees, trimming the logs, transporting them required a large workforce, and 30,000 men were shent, sent in shifts to work in Lebanon, Jewish males, one month working, two months at home, and it was hard, backbreaking work, and the rest for them was good. 70,000 it says verse 15 were carrying burdens and another 80,000 quarrying stones. And these were non-Israelites besides the 3,300 who supervised them. Now, when you go to Israel with us, as we're going to be heading very soon here, we're going to take you down under the Wailing Wall in in a tour called the Rabbi's Tunnels, and you will see uh, one of the original stones from the time of Herod that's down there. It's huge. Solomon's Temple was smaller, was a smaller version of this one, although it was grand and glorious for the day, and yet it needed all these people. And it gives you some perspective of the kind of work, because we really don't see that uh, today, to quarry and to hand-hewn everything. And it's interesting that Solomon faces opposition in these these choices. Because over time, the Jewish people began to resent Solomon for taking 30,000 of their men to have this hard, back-breaking work in Lebanon for four months out of the year. And this critical attitude helped later strengthen the people's revolt against Rehoboam when the kingdom divides. And the big issues that people came to despise had to do with their labor, wages, and rising taxes. Does that sound familiar at all? It's exactly happening in the time of Solomon, even under a godly reign. But for a large government, it's going to require a lot of people to support that government, as we've seen before. And unfortunately, Solomon put a huge yoke upon the people. Yet, at the end, there's an encouraging note in verse 17. The king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, hewn stones, to lay the foundation of the temple, and Solomon's builders... Uh, Hiram's builders and the Gebelites quarried them and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. It's an encouraging thing as we see that they work together. The king's commanding the people and they obey. There's no mention of them at this phase. Later on, years later, they're upset because it's a long process. But there's no mention in the beginning of them revolting or being upset, no argument, no reservation, Basically, these people did what they were told, what they were requested, and in some cases, what they were commanded. And it just speaks to our lives today as we leave. To be obedient to the voice of the king, that he has a direction for your life, that he has a word for you in your current situation, that that he has a direction for you, that he has a command for you, that he has a request for you, That he has something to tell you. And I'm reminded, you can jot it down in John 14. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. It's a sign of love for us to obey our king. It's a sign of love for us to do what he requests and what he requires and what he commands. That we would live for him in this world. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, By this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we're in him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, but his commandments are not burdensome. And this is an area that the devil is always attacking, and that's always a weakness of our flesh over and over. The devil is always trying to undermine our trust in God, to believe him in his word, to trust him, to, to walk in faith. Because if we don't trust God, that will separate us from God in disobedience. It will take us away from, you know, even when we begin to have doubts and we're wrestling with God and, and we read a scripture and we go, I just don't know if that's true for me. That's the beginning of disobedience. If not submitted to the Lord, you know, God is not opposed to us wrestling and not, not opposed to us wrestling with the text coming to him and reason. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 1, it's God invites us to come. He says, let us reason together. But if it's not submitted to the Lord... If it's not laid before him, it's the seed of being drawn away by our own desires," James says. And, and then when we're drawn away, that, that desire gives birth to sin. And devil's always trying our flesh is always trying to undermine our faith in the Lord. It happens often at the tail end of a disappointment. things don't go our way, or on the heels of a painful experience or the memory of a painful experience, or at the crossroads of a difficult decision. I mean, these things so affect your life and so affect my life that even among the Christian world, there's books like this. But even unbelievers, people don't have a relationship with Jesus will write books entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Because everyone's trying to figure this out trying to figure out what do i do when when i when my my trust and faith is undermined or you know for an unbeliever you know they're just trying to put meaning to life but for the believer you're trying to put meaning to faith to your life of faith what are we supposed to do when things happen to us that we don't understand that we can't comprehend that cause us to doubt well we're to fall back on the things that we do understand we're to trust the things that we do understand. You know, there are things that supersede all of our doubts. We know that God loves us. So we, re- man, we repeat that. I know you love me, Lord. I don't understand it, but I know you love me. I know that you died for me. I know that you rose again. I know that you promised not to leave or forsake me, and you never have up to this point. When we have these circumstances, a great prayer request uh, from our sister tonight, you know, that you're in the midst of circumstances, and you're like, well, what, what am I supposed to do when I don't understand? I don't, why? Why is this? Well, you fall back on the things you do understand so that you can walk by faith through your circumstance. That even if things are blinding you right now, you've got to come back to the things that you can see clearly. We need to return to the things that we know, that God is patient and kind with us as we sing. That's a truth. That's not a song. It's a truth. <laughs> We're singing about the attributes of God. We're singing about how faithful he is to us and how kind he is. We we remember his love for us. We remember his goodness. We remember his patience. Remember how he's cared for our souls up to this point. We remember how his son died for us and rose again. Loving God always comes first, and then obedience follows. But you know, there, there are those times, church. Listen, there are those times when obedience comes first. Where maybe you don't have the feeling right now and maybe you don't have the desire and you default to just doing what you know needs to be done. In a very small way, it's not a real good comparison, but it's the best that I can come up with. It's what you do pretty much every Monday morning. You don't want to go to work. Who wants to go to work? Today, we took our Christmas picture. You know what that meant? You know what that really means? You really want to know what that means for me? It means 5.30 in the morning. I didn't know there was a 5.30 in the morning. I don't see it very often. But in order to get here on time, I had to get up at 5.30. Let me just tell you, I would be just fine if they Photoshopped me into the picture I didn't want to get up at 5.30 today. Today wasn't a Monday for me, but I didn't want to get up at 5.30. I don't know what time you get up on Monday, but I'm sure they even call it, you know, Monday morning blues. Had a great weekend, maybe a three-day weekend, and now you got to go back to work. And some of you, I won't ask for hands, but you totally, I'll see by your face, I don't know who you are. Some of you, you went to work on Monday because you had to. And so You did. It's not because you got up and go, you can't believe it. I get to go to work today. I'm working overtime for free. I love it so much. I don't want to come home. No, you got up and go, oh, what time is it? Snooze. What time is it? Snooze. What time is it? Snooze and Siri says, no, you've got to get up. Go to work. I don't want to go to work. Go to work. Go to work. Sometimes with the things of the Lord, you're waiting too long for the emotion. You need to do what you need to do. Why? Because if you love him, one of the ways you'll manifest that is through your obedience. Sometimes we equate, well, love means I feel like it and obedient. No, no. If you love Jesus, if I love him, I'll obey him. I'll obey him. Just like Monday morning or Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning or all week for the last 10 years, you've gotten up for work. (laughs) And you're just like, man, I really don't want to do this, but I know I need to provide for my family. It's a hard place to work, but I'll get through. God will get me through. And obedience follows love, but sometimes it precedes it when necessary. So I commend that to you. When the king speaks, we really need to, we really need to be obedient. His commandments aren't burdensome. If His commandments feel burdensome to you today, then then you're misunderstanding the commandments of God. The Bible says His commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because we've already learned over and over again in our fellowship that God is in us by His Holy Spirit. He's working in us, isn't He? To will, both to will and to do. And so they're not burdensome because God will match the command with the power, His power. His commands are not burdensome. His commands are not too heavy, they're not too hard. They're not a burden, not a weight. In Psalm 119, verse 45, it says, And I will walk in freedom, because I seek your precepts. Warren Wiersbe said this, and I quote, We show our love to God, not by empty words, but by willing works. We're not slaves obeying a master, but children obeying a loving father. And when you realize and come back to the love of Jesus Christ, and recognize that he'll never give you any command that's too difficult to follow in his power and strength, Jesus will give the command and he will give the power to follow through and we will do well to listen to the king just like they did here with Solomon. You know why we uh, can speak of a temple? You know why the Bible speaks of a temple being built? Because the people, they listened to the king. Now it got to them later and may the Lord just protect us from things getting to us later. You know, we start out well and then we finish poorly. We don't want that. We don't want to begin in the spirit. And try to perfect things in our flesh. We don't want that. Uh, you know, with this practical example, we're, we're, pulling, we're pulling spiritual principles out of it, spiritual precepts. But, you know, from the practical, I get it. It's backbreaking work and it was hard for them and it didn't get easier. It got harder. And then the taxes and then all the difficulty. You know, I can see how it would be a frustration for them later on. But the Bible says that the works of God and what he leads us to, they're not burdensome. Not like this. And so when the Lord speaks, we need to learn to obey as fast and as quick as possible. Amen.
1: You've been listening to Pastor Ed Taylor's message, When the King Speaks, We Obey. And this is Abounding Grace. To hear this study again, go online to calvaryaurora.org or call and purchase a CD copy for $2 at 877-30-GRACE. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. Search for Calvary Aurora. Well, Ed, in today's talk, you stressed that when God speaks, we need to be obedient. Can you think of an example or two of what that might look like in our listeners' lives? You know, Larry, obedience is something that is
0: not very emphasized uh, these days. You know, there's there's a lot of talk about enjoying the Lord and Having an improved life and you know your best life today and uh, you know grace 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 but grace teaches us uh to be obedient uh to surrender our lives to to know that uh, obedience is desired by God more than our religious activities more than as the bible says sacrifice and and so here's a couple of ways that are important for us uh, number one when you When you hear something in a Bible study or you're reading in the morning that requires an action, do it as soon as possible. Like, for example, if you're reading through and it says to love your enemies, and immediately the Holy Spirit reminds you of somebody that you know may not be an enemy, but you're at odds with them, you should pray for them right in that moment. And just respond as fast as you can, Uh, because if you don't, uh, you, that you'll, you'll lose the momentum of the Holy Spirit. And he'll bring it back. It'll keep coming back because you know, it's, like a, it's like a test. You know, if you don't pass it, God will give it to you again. And, and obedience simply means doing what you know needs to be done. And it's not some heavy uh, legalistic trip. And you know, it's not something that you do outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a life lived of self-denial. Taking, I mean, when Jesus spoke about following him, he gave actions to obey. He said, deny yourself. You need to do that. You don't just need to think it and don't just need to believe it, but to do it. Take up your cross, number two, and then follow him. Not following man or doctrines, but following him. So obedience is important. So please, please, please obey when you hear and what you hear.
1: We picked out a wonderful book by Gene Edwards this month that we think you'll benefit from. It's A Tale of Three Kings, A Study in Brokenness. It features the stories of David, Saul, and Absalom. If you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of others, this is a must-read. The Lord can certainly use it to bring comfort and healing into your life, too. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, ask for a copy of A Tale of Three Kings. Give us a call at 877 30 Grace or make a secure donation online at CalvaryAurora.org. Those that prefer to write, here's our mailing address Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado 80013 glad you've taken time out to study the Word with us. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow for Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.